Welcome to Dreaming of Home. I'm Gemma Rolls-Bentley, host of this new podcast series launched in conjunction with a group show I curated at the Leslie Lohman Museum of Art in New York City that springboards from Catherine Opie's artwork, Self-Portrait Cutting. The photo, taken in 1993, depicts Kathy Opie from behind, a childlike scene depicting two lesbians holding hands next to a house under the clouds has been cut into her back. The exhibition features 20 of today's most groundbreaking artists, reflecting on the rapid and tumultuous shifts experienced by LGBTQIA communities in the 30 years since Kathy's photograph. In the upcoming episodes, I am joined in the search for home by artists from the exhibition and Leslie Lohman Museum art workers as we explore queer people's hope for a happy, healthy future and the restrictions imposed by wider society on our dreams, our relationships, our families and our bodies. Our gorgeous show music is Fantasy Island Obsession by Tom Rasmussen featuring Kai Isaiah Jamal, courtesy of Globetown Records. For episode two of the podcast, I'm joined by the iconic artist herself, Catherine Opie. Born in Ohio in 1961, Kathy has lived and worked in California since the 80s. She's exhibited her work at the world's leading galleries and museums since 1985. Her work is held in more than 60 of the most significant public collections in the United States and around the world, including the Hammer, the Broad and the Getty Museum in LA, the Guggenheim Museum in New York, and the Tate, the Royal Academy of Arts, and the National Portrait Gallery in London. She's been the recipient of many awards and fellowships, and will in fact be honoured at this year's Leslie Lohman Museum of Arts Gala. From the very beginning of her career, Kathy has been photographing LGBTQIA people, particularly giving visibility to butch lesbians, dykes, and trans mask people. In my view, Kathy's the most important living queer artist. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Well, that's quite a view. Thank you for including me. I'm so happy to be here talking to you about this exhibition. Um, and and uh, yeah, I look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy. So to get us started, I'd love to begin with a little time travel. As you know, your photograph self-portrait cutting is the starting point for the group exhibition Dreaming of Home that's inspired this podcast. So I was wondering if you could take us back to 1993 and give us a little context about what was happening in your life in America and why you decided to make this artwork. Absolutely. Well, 1993, um, at this point, I had been an activist for a number of years, starting out in the 80s, early in the 80s in San Francisco. But when I moved to uh, Southern California and left San Francisco, my community really changed and it was hard to find a certain kind of people and community here. And I ended up doing that in Los Angeles. And in 1988, I graduated from CalArts and, um, you know, moved to this incredible building eventually after a number of years of bopping around LA to a building that we called Casa de Estrogen, that Jenny Shimutsu lived above me upstairs, Crystal Cross, we had uh, Ellie and Pam. Everybody worked on their motorcycles in the driveway. And this was a building that I moved to after my first domestic relationship broke up. And that was really hard on me, this breakup. And it was it was in this community that, that was like, look, Kathy, there's an apartment, come be in Casa de Estrogen, that self-portrait cutting was actually made. It was made with Judy Bamber, a great artist friend who had never was never part of the SM scene, so had never done any cutting before. 
And so she practiced on a chicken breast and she was really, really nervous. It had my good friends, Mike and Skye, who I photographed uh, also early on to lead Judy through the cutting. And then another very good friend of the photographer, Connie Samaras, who ended up putting the four by five holders in and moving the dark side because you can't make a self-portrait with a large format camera without another person helping. So I framed it all in my living room in Koreatown in Los Angeles on a street called Catalina. And we called that apartment building because it was an all lesbian apartment building, Casa de Estrogen. And uh, actually, uh, Gemma, there'll be a chance for the audience to see this because you've inspired me with your exhibition of 30 years and made me realize that I have my own 30-year archive to play with here in L.A. And so on January 11th at Regan Projects, which I hope you'll join us with, Gemma, is, is going to be uh, um, an exhibition titled Harmony is Fraught which explores the Los Angeles city landscape with the queer body over all of these years of me living in LA. And it'll include for the first time, the videotape of self-portrait cutting on my back being, being made. So nobody has seen this video yet, but it is documented and it's gonna be interesting to see what happens when people see this photograph that they've been looking at for 30 years, all of a sudden become a domestic space within my living room you know, and the cutting being done. Wow, that's amazing. I'm so pleased that it was recorded and that you have that footage. And it's kind of amazing that you've kept it back for all this time and now we'll get to see it. That feels really special. I mean, I'm definitely coming to see that show. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, it, it is, it's a personal recording. It, I don't think of the recording as, as the artwork, but I'm really happy to have the documentation. And it's, it is interesting, you know, as your exhibition has, you know, inspired my own thinking of my archive, as well as just the Fiden book and other things going on in my life, that I have returned to thinking about that time and what that time was like in L.A. and in specifically in relationship to activism and AIDS and what blood meant. But not only blood for women, but blood for our entire community. And uh, and and this image of two stick figure girls with with a little house and a little bit of hope with the sun coming out of the clouds. Yeah, and there is that little bit of hope, and that's I think what I have always really felt when I've seen that image. It's painful, but often dreaming of home is painful, and kind of thinking about the future. But that hope and that sun and the birds, it's, it's really strong, that signal of hope, actually. What was the impact like when you kind of first made that work? It, it's wonderful, actually, to hear of your community and how, you know, I feel like I know a lot of that community because I've seen those people in your photographs. So it's quite nice hearing you talk about them by name. Um, what was the reception to your work like in the 90s? You were exhibiting cutting works at the Whitney Biennial in 95. How did people respond to that? So self-portrait cutting on my back never showed in any, you know, it showed in some major museums and group shows, but it wasn't included in the Whitney Biennial, which um, is, 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 there's mixed history on that. Some people say that it was some people, but I know because I was there that it was only pervert. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're the one that knows. I'm glad that we're setting the record straight now. 
Um, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, pervert okay. was harder. I think if self-portrait cutting on my back had been alongside pervert, I think I would have had a, a better feeling of a, of a safety net within my community. But putting pervert out first, it, where the first place it ever, ever was exhibited or shown publicly was the 1995 Whitney Biennial. I think that that was much more difficult for me than self-portrait cutting on my back. I think of self-portrait cutting on my back as a as a true image of my longing, where pervert is a much more politically aimed and charged image. Yes. And so they're both political. They're both political. Pervert, you have carved the word pervert into your chest. We see you from the front, but you're wearing a gimp mask. You have the needles down your arm, but you've got this it's the same composition, the same Holbein-esque fabric in the background. Um, and and actually, there's a third in the trio as well, isn't the um, self-portrait nursing that you made in 2004, which is again kind of a, the next chapter in in many ways um, that shows you know you nursing your beautiful baby, and but still we see the scar of pervert on your chest. Yeah, because the Madonna and child in terms of what we know in art and what we know in terms of representation is this utterly innocent idea. And and the queers are always presented as perverts, as, you know, the language that I carved on my own chest. So like the contradiction of me, you you know, photographing myself with my child nursing uh, it, with it's so you know, steeped within the history of art of, in terms of representation. But where is the queer body in that history is really constantly what I was always working very hard on. Um, what is representation? What does it do for our community? What does it do not only for our own community, but also for viewers outside of our community? How do we come upon these images? What do these images do for us? Yeah, absolutely. I remember really clearly seeing an exhibition of your girlfriend series at Stephen Friedman in London. And I had just recently moved to London. I'd just come out a couple of years before. I was really, really still not feeling okay or at peace with my identity. And walking into, you know, a really well-established commercial gallery in Mayfair and seeing pictures of people that looked like my people on the walls was just such a endorsement and it kind of gave me permission I felt identification I really it was a really formative experience for me in my kind of early queer years and I really really remember that and I've heard other people talk about your work having similar impact on them as well I mean that's the beautiful thing about being an artist that is 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 actually included and exhibited is is that I do get to use my voice and I try to use my voice in very very specific ways and as you know the work traverses through not only queer work, but through landscape, through cities, through everything in terms of looking at the specificity of identity. So that within the whole kind of realm of, you know, the last, well, I mean, I'm 62, so I've been making work for a very long time now, but to be able to be included for um, for people that like your experience, that they can go in and say, oh, I see myself here. 
And I've had so many students over the years say that to me. It's just like, thank you, because your work allowed me to think about making my own work and giving that space. And I think that that's a lot of what you're doing with this exhibition is talking about that history of what that's what what making space means for us as queers. Yeah, I, that's definitely what I'm trying to do. And just really thinking about this idea of home as quite a broad concept. You know, in your photograph, we see that stick figure of home as if a child might have drawn it at a house and two people holding hands. Um, but, you know, many of the artists that are included in the Leslie Lohman exhibition, home for them is about feeling comfortable in your own body. It's about finding your chosen family and your people. It's about f- having safety outside as a trans person. It's about spirituality, parenting, migration. You know, there's so many different themes to touch on. And I wanted mm-hmm. to also think about, like, yeah, this 30-year period and what has changed. And, you know, I wondered what you thought about that, thinking about this exhibition, but also just other kind of artists and particularly younger artists who are making work now and to sharing about their experiences as queer and trans people. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think it's really incredibly complicated because I would like to say that it has advanced quite a bit from my life. And when I came out in 1980, you know, 79, 1980 or so, uh, it certainly has changed legally, but we also know that those, those kind of changes can be taken away from us too, in relationship to conservative governments and courts that we're not safe. That, um, even though we think of home as potentially a safe place, I think for many people, home wasn't a safe place. And so the complicated nature of that in the uh, younger artists that I see within the exhibition is the relationship of abstraction that is happening within their work to begin to describe also the morphing and the relationship of, of, of okay, well, where are we to say that a documentary practice is the best way of creating representations, especially what photography has done in, re- in in terms of visibility. But I really, really appreciate, like, you know, just, just thinking about Christina Quarles and the morphing of the body. You're referring to Christina Quarles' painting, Tilt Shift, that she made in 2020, that's in Dreaming of Home. There's a group of figures. They kind of merge into each other in this abstract style that you're talking about. There's references to the domestic. There's a gingham tablecloth or bedspread there. Um, it's a beautiful painting. And that that morphing is also aligned with with like queerness and trans and and all of that. That that is also embedded within the work in your in your exhibition. And I find that really important to think about those nuances between generations that, you know, people do want to feel safe in home. They want to think that they can make home or if they don't want to make home and they reject that, that they also have the possibility of doing that. What is our relationship to true freedom? And we, we always talk about this idea of democracy and freedom, but certainly I have legal rights for marriage at this point. And I'm happy for those because of the fact of what I've saw my friends suffer through, uh, who partners who were dying of AIDS weren't not being allowed near their hospital beds 
in their last moments because they weren't family. Money being taken from them, established couples that had been together 20 years and then they lose their partner. The family comes in and wipes out the other partner's bank account because it's theirs unless they had a way of creating wills. So all of this was so intense for me through the AIDS epidemic in which I lost a good portion of my gay male community and nursed a good portion of them and was bedside. And I think that's also what the stick figure girls mean as well. Not only the loss of my own domestic relationship, but the loss of family and what is family and how do we constitute the notion of family out of a heteronormative experience. And I think all of that is embedded in a very intense way in that image for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I've read um, an interview with you before where you were speaking about kind of off the back of the HIV AIDS crisis as well, like even feeling at some points a rejection from within the wider queer community and you know well that's what Herbert was about yeah exactly and that's I think that's something we see now you know we we see tensions within the broader LGBTQIA plus community at a time when we really need to be coming together more than ever well let me ask you this out there because this is a podcast and it'll be like okay Republicans queer Republicans who belong to log cabin party why why at this point are you affiliating yourself with a known political enemy of our people? <laughs> you know, it's like insanity sometimes for me. Why? And so you keep poking at the why by making work. You know, you poke at the why by making work through it. And to keep asking those questions and to yeah, posing them through the work and almost just kind of reflecting on those tensions. I think there's often aren't there so many examples of internalized homophobia as well and those struggles. I mean, we see it in Italy as well at the moment where, you know, mothers are being taken off their children's birth certificates. Um, and it's really, it can, you know, it's really scary times, I think, for a lot of, a lot of people. Yeah, and then what does it mean for my queer body to look at the Vatican and have that in Italy as this is happening, where I'm talking about walls, windows, and blood in relationship to another notion of Holy Trinity. So so there is like, I that's what I love about being an artist is there is always this moment in which you can pivot and create these bodies of work that'll have these larger conversations that are not just about, you know, my own personal queer body, but that it is my body with all the other bodies. And where is the equality in relationship to that? Let's like really talk about that for a moment. And so using like very intense structures like the Vatican and what that means now and being able to distill it down to these very simplistic moments of blood within the art, you know, windows and walls is another way of poking through the relationship of these bureaucracies. So that's your new exhibition that you've just opened at Thomas Dane Gallery in Naples, Walls, Windows and Blood, that you're referring to there. Um, and yeah, like you said, you're kind of really analysing these structures of power and control and you're picking apart the impacts of Catholicism, colonialism, 
But I found the blood part of that show really interesting because you're photographing the blood in the paintings, the tapestries. And of course, it just took me right back to self-portrait cutting and to that blood play that you were bringing in there. That self-referential element of the show I found super interesting. It's a very important part of it because one of the things that I've been saying in interviews, because I've had numerous interviews since the opening of this exhibition, is why are there trigger warnings with my artwork when it's an innocent child drawing on my body, but yet they don't have to have trigger warnings through the Vatican and seeing the incredible violence and history of Christianity. Like, why is that okay? But my body and my expression is not okay. You know, like that's some hypocrisy there, you know? (laughs) So that really bothers me. Yeah, that's right. And again, once again, it's about queer bodies and who has ownership and who where the power really lies and what those restrictions look like that are being imposed on us by outside forces. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of the artists in the exhibition in New York who are kind of really looking at that as well, you know, whether it's through photography, sculpture, video, video game, like People are really kind of using all these different mediums to think about home and their body within it and the the kind of different contexts. I think that connection with the body, obviously that with your artwork being a starting point for the show, that was already a really strong concept for the show. But it's something that I think every single artist in the show has also brought in, but in quite, quite different formats actually well i think you're specifically really looking at that also not only just as a curator in terms of writing a book and really tracking the history of queer work but in relationship to your own personal life and that's often where it all begins is our own personal life and our own questions about how we're looked at through society then allows us to find work that helps us express our own personal desires. That's why it's so important for work to be continually made in exploring these issues. Yeah, and it's giving something to people, you know, in different ways, different points for people to make connections. The first morning that the show was open, I went into the museum and I was so moved to see the gallery just full of people. And it was older men, lots of young trans people just there in the space, happily coexisting, looking at this work. And several people have said, you know, having a space that feels like it's a space for them and it's a safe space still feels very important even now when, you know, like we said, in 30 years we have seen a lot of progress but there's these new challenges coming up as well. No, completely new challenges. And we're not just talking about challenges here in our own country, but we're talking about global challenges. Because when I did an exhibition last summer in Seoul, in Korea, South Korea, um, I titled the work uh, From My Shore to Your Shore and Back Again. So that the the, the downstairs was all photographs, early portraits of my from my queer community from the 90s work that I went back into the archive and reprinted for a room. Then you went upstairs and you dealt with a horizon line to meditate on. And one of the things is that, you know, all of these queers who came for the show 
in, in Seoul said, we only have one alley to hang out in. And thank you so much because now we can come and see this exhibition, you know, and, but it, and it's true, like with reporters who said like, well, I was really freaked out by downstairs, but then I went upstairs and I meditated with your horizon lines. And I realized that like, all you're trying to talk about is democracy and equality and that the body and the landscape and the sea begin to do that together. Even though those works weren't made together, but it's about that 30 years of being able to go through it where it's like, okay, if you put these two things together now for this community within this country, what does that do for that population? And I'm really enjoying the ability to think about my own queerness just outside of America's politics and, and, and think about it uh, in, a, in, a, in a larger way. Yeah, and whilst you're doing that, thinking about it for yourself, giving other people an opportunity to find peace as well as identification, you know, I think that's such a beautiful example, that show in Seoul. Um, what's coming up for you next? What are you working on next? Well, the Regan Project show, yeah, Harmony is Fraught is the title. It took a really long time to get to the title. But I've been thinking a lot about um, kind of how I'm tracking ideas of architecture, ideas of utopic kind of notions, how we always hang on to a certain kind of idea of modernism in relationship to utopia. And so by using the landscape of L.A. as the city, and we're talking about you know, eight by 10 negatives I shot outside of the last day of the OJ verdict trial, where none of this work has been exhibited before. It's all work that I made around the bodies of work. So you're going to track the queer body in relationship to the city in this exhibition. And it is also my 30th anniversary with Regan Project. So it's my it's my anniversary show for this gallery who took a chance on me when I was you know, 30, 32 years old and just decided to have this long 30 years of, of helping me do this in this world that I, I happen to find myself in. I didn't, I didn't happen to find myself in the world. I worked really hard at it, actually. So I don't want to think that it just, I tripped into this. I went to art school. I, I knew that this was going to be my path. So uh, let me correct that last statement. Yeah, and you're still working really hard at it. Like, I, I know, I see what you're doing. You're still working really hard. And that's beautiful to have that celebration of that relationship with the gallery. Because I, I, that's something I have found interesting, you know, with an artist like you that has had as much success, recognition, your work has been shown in so many places. Like, that feels really quite radical to me in many ways that you've been able to use your platform to make this work and to push these ideas and to have these you know very nuanced conversations that like you said are very political a lot of the time and so those galleries and museums that have been your partners in that have also played a really important role very crucial role especially the 2008 Guggenheim show with four floors of that show, I think people finally figured me out a little bit where I think that before it was like, well, how come she does this? And how come she does that? And then she goes over here and does this. And they thought of the work as being too diverse as a practice. They were used to a more singular lens, so to speak, within artwork. But I've never had that singularity nor wanted it. I wanted to encompass 
the entire language of what I've been trained to do. And that's the other amazing thing is what you were saying is having these partners who are actually going along with me and saying, okay, Kathy, I'll show walls, windows, and blood. You went to the Vatican. Let's see what happens with that, you know? And I we need that. And also artists should not be afraid of making work. And this is probably one of the most important things that I can say about self-portrait cutting on my back. Uh, one, well, several important things. One, it's my son's favorite piece that I've ever made. So I love that my own child can understand what that meant uh, for him. And it really touches me that that's his favorite. Um, Two, I made it at a time where I thought I was going to completely screw up my life. Because being that out was not okay in 1993. It really wasn't. Look at what what stars like Megan has gone through. Look how long it took Jodie Foster to come out. You know, look at what that was. So to do that on my body, I thought, I'm not going to get a teaching job. Like my life, I'm I'm putting my politics first before my own well-being. Well, guess what, everybody? That wasn't the case. So remember, do not live in fear. Do not live in fear. Live in your truth and your true self and what that means and what representation does. And that is the most, those are the two most important things is my son understands my body and he understands who I am. And number two, don't be afraid of making the work that's really important for you to make if you're an artist. I mean, that is so, that's so powerful and exactly what we want to hear. And I'm just so grateful that you're sharing that with our listeners. Um, Okay, well, I think that's, that's such a strong point to end on. I have one more question for you which is the question that I ask all of our um, guests on the show. What is your dream of home? Mm. Well, it was the stick figure girls on my back. I accomplished that. I am now living in an apartment um, in downtown LA and my 21 year marriage is uh, about to end. And uh, I uh, home is is where my grandson is in the living room playing a video game right now is where my son will come home for Thanksgiving and we'll hang out together. Home is the extended family and community that I have. Home is not necessarily the stick figure girls with a little house anymore for myself. Um, as my my wonderful friend, a great uh, filmmaker and queer advocate, um, film producer Alex Uhoff says this Kathy you did it you did it you you did what you dreamed of you did the cutting and you actually did it successfully you you got to have a domestic relationship in a home and raise your child with the you know Julie's adult daughter and living with us and doing all of that So home for me right now is still a home in which community is a vibrant part of my being. And and that history will carry me through that in the same way that this self-portrait has carried me through 30 years of continuing to make art. And it's wonderful that you continue to connect with so many people. And, you know, I feel very grateful to be part of that community as well. You give so much to so many people. Thank you so much for being on this podcast with me today. And thank you 
for being in the exhibition and for your support of the show, speaking to me about all the artists before we, you know, put the show together. It's been, you know, just really wonderful to collaborate with you. And for me, a real dream come true to work on this show and to reflect on an artwork that's been so important to me in my life as well. So thank you, Kathy. Well, I want to thank you for all of your scholarly work and the importance of curators to us as artists. So keep up the great work. I know you're going to keep digging deep and we're going to see amazing things from you. And I can't wait for your book and congratulations on that. That's very monumental. Thank you so much, Kathy. This episode is brought to you by the Leslie Lohman Museum of Art. Dreaming of Home is on view September 7th till January 7th, 2024. Learn more about the show at leslieloman.org. Join us for the next episode in this series where we ask, where can we feel at home? In our skin, in each other's embrace, amongst our chosen families, where are our queer and trans bodies safe, housed and free to be themselves? I'm Gemma Rolls-Bentley and this is Dreaming of Home. show music is Fantasy Island Obsession, written and performed by friend of the podcast, Tom Rasmussen, featuring Kai Isaiah Jamal.